Hello and welcome to the Every Nation Twane Moikluf podcast. We trust that you'll enjoy today's message with us. Good morning, family. Yes, it's a good morning, right? Come on, this is God's morning. It's a day that He's made. It is the most wonderful time, right? Yes. I love this time of year, I do. I love Christmas, I love everything that surrounds Christmas that is godly, right? Things like family time, uh, remembrance of the birth of Christ, giving each other gifts as a symbol of the greatest gift we have received. But there is also a danger in this time, right? I often ask the teenagers, uh, I'm also in youth ministry, so I ask the youth, what is the greatest barrier keeping you from time with God? They say, time. I don't have it. I said, all right. And in December, how much time do you have? A lot. And how much do you spend with God? Right, because time is not actually the issue. But in December, we do have a lot of time, and there's that temptation that now that I, that I have less responsibility than usual, I can do whatever I feel like doing, um, and then there's Santa Claus, and there's the bells and the whistles, like Nadine said, and everything, and it distracts us from God. And so that's why every year, we try and prioritize preaching a Christmas series, a series that is aimed at... Um, keeping our focus as a church throughout the December holidays on God. You can go on holiday and never rest. You can go on vacation, do a lot of things, fun things, joyous things, and come back and realize you need a holiday from your holiday, right? So I'm really trusting that the series we are in will help you and equip you to not do that to not have that experience, to have a different experience. So our series is called Unwrapping the Present. Unwrapping the Present. And it's aimed at cultivating a deeper understanding of God's goodness, which this morning is about, His transformative power, and the significance of living out our faith in a genuine and unwrapped manner. But there's also in this series elements of reflection, gratitude, and faith. And so that's what, we, what Shane spoke about last week, that reflection, right? Unwrapping 2023. We had an altar that we built. That was awesome, Shane. I loved it. Come on, man. That was a, I love the props. I'm learning a lot from you. And so we looked at, we, we remembered as the, the Israelites, Joshua took the Israelites through the Jordan River into Israel. And as they passed through the river, as God parted the river, as he did the seas for Moses, they built an altar there to remember God's provision, remember his grace, remember this year he, there was restoration, there was salvation. The Israelites often forgot these things about God, right? The scripture says but they forgot. The next king forgot God's faithfulness to the previous king. They forgot. We will not. So this week, we're unwrapping the goodness of God. So I've got 35 minutes to unwrap God's goodness, and I'm gonna trust him that we do as much as we possibly can, that you will know his goodness and experience his goodness. All right, so we're gonna read from Hosea chapter three. 
And for about 80% of the sermon, I'm not going to say the word goodness. But my goodness, I hope that by the end it makes sense for us. All right. So we're in in Hosea chapter 3. I'll give us some background. We're going to read a whole chapter this morning. Massive. It's only five verses. Chapter (laughs) 1. Hosea is called to be a prophet. Now, what do prophets do? They hear God's voice, and then they share the message, right? They bring what God says. So it is, it is their job to have revelation. It is their job to know super, things supernaturally, and then to bring it to the people so that everyone can know and obey God. So God comes to Isaiah, calls him to be a prophet, and the first thing he commands him to do is to take a wife, and he tells Hosea, and this wife will cheat on you multiple times. Okay, prophet, their job to know things, but perhaps too much information, God. Now, how does that make sense? How, how does a good God, in his goodness, tell a faithful servant prophet to take an adulterous wife who will whore against him. How does that make sense? We'll get there. But she cheats on him and she runs away and she, I don't want to give too much away, but she, she lives with another man. She ends up with multiple men. And that's when we get to Hosea chapter 3, okay? They've already had three children together. Hosea is caring for the children on his own because the wife has run away. And here he is, and God comes to him in chapter 3. And this is what God says in chapter 3, verse 1 to 5. And the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel Though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. Watch out for the raisin cakes this December. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethage of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So I will be to you also. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince. This is God speaking again. Without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. And afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. Okay. Verse 1. We're going to take this verse by verse. So verse 1. God speaks to Isaiah. says, go again. Go back to the adulterous wife. Now, obviously, if she's adulterous, you can, that means that she's married. It's, it's, it's Hosea's wife. Go back. Take your wife back and love her again. Why? And then God says, because the children of Israel, you need to understand something about my love for my children. Now, now Israel, the children of Israel, is a type of us. As is the wife, Gomer, a type of us. How does that work? So God uses an analogy of marriage for Hosea to understand his relation to us. Right? He says, take the 
an adulterous wife because that's how I feel over Israel. Now this changes our view of relationship with God. Because in the Bible, many analogies are used for our relationship with God, right? There's, there's he's like a king, and we are his servants, and we relate to him as our king. But he's also like a shepherd, and we are his sheep, and we relate to him in that way, that we are basically useless and directionless without him. But then he is also like a father, and we are his children. And these are analogies used throughout the Bible to describe God's relationship to us. But there is none more prominent and perhaps more accurate and and reveals the intense desire of God to have a relationship with us than to say that he is our husband. We are his wife. But more than just his husband and we his wife, in, in Isaiah chapter 62 verse 5, it says, as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Now, if you have been a bridegroom, I've been a bridegroom. I have a picture of me being a bridegroom. And that picture is the moment that I saw my wife coming down the aisle. And I wailed. Okay, I wept. I wanted to go into sackcloth and ash, rip my cloak, and go onto my knees, put ash on my head. I'm kidding. But I was crying. I was really one of those uh, groomsmen who, or grooms that um, I experienced so intense joy. And I just, I didn't care that my culture t- taught me not to cry as a man because then you're weak. I just said, God, I'm just going to let it all out. And I had, I had eyes for only one person. And that's my wife, walking down the aisle. And there was nothing that I was more excited over to do for the rest of my life than to enjoy it with her. In that moment, as a groom, you forget all of her flaws. You forget all of the fights. You forget everything that's bad. You only remember what is good. And all you see is good and joyous. And you are excited. That is how God feels about us. That's the way he wants to relate to us. It's not just that you're a servant or a sheep or a child. You're, you're a wife. Sorry, guys, we're, we're wives as well. In this analogy, we're all wives. We are brides. And he is the groom and he rejoices deeply. And he desires intensely for that kind of relationship with us, okay? But in this analogy, if you wanna understand relationship with God, you need to understand how a bride and a groom relate to each other because that's how God relates, but not just that. You need to understand how a faithful groom relates to an unfaithful bride. You might be saying, but I've never been unfaithful to anyone. Oh, yes, you have. How's that? We need a little bit of background. So at Moitlof, I've preached about this. We've preached on this. And that is that the doctrine of the Trinity, God being triune, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that doctrine is the foundation for our creation. How does that work? It works like this. For all eternity, God has been dwelling in perfect relationship. 
the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit with each other has boundless love, endless joy, unbreakable unity, and eternal glory with one another forever. There's been endless joy. There's been boundless love. All of eternity, the Father has been pouring it out on the Son, and the Son has been pouring it out on the Spirit, and the Spirit's been pouring it out on the Father, and there's this Trinity. And from this place, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in Genesis 1, get together, they say, hey, let's share what we have. Let's create a people who are able to have what we have with us and with one another. That is the main reason you were created. That's the place from which you were created. That was the reason for your creation. That is the purpose for your existence. All right? We're getting very philosophical here this morning. You were created to have one God, one source of love above all other, one source of identity, one source of security, meaning, acceptance, one source of provision, one source of joy, one source of hope, one source of contentment, one God above all other. That's what we have been created for. And just as a bride is given to her husband and only him, vulnerable, intimate, united, committed, transparent, so we were created to be given to God, for God, one source, one God. This story is trying to tell us that though that is the reason we were created, every single one of us has been unfaithful to that. How does that work? How can I say that? I'm gonna give you a quote from Timothy Keller. He explains this beautifully. He says this, when something is more important than God in your life, if money, making money turns your crank more, if that's more important to your self-image and who you are, if that gives you more joy than your relationship with God, if having children, if getting married, if being married, if your looks, your achievements, if some great political cause, if there's anything more important than God in your life, then that's your real God. That's your husband. That is the man that you are cheating with on God. If anything is more important in your life than God and your relationship with God. It doesn't matter how small or seemingly insignificant. It doesn't matter how much you compare yourself to someone else and say, hey, but I'm not as bad as them. I'm way better. I'm much closer to God. If there is anything in your life that is more important to you than God, then that is your real God and you have been unfaithful. You are Gomer and so am I. Then that is it. And if we want to know if that is true, then we need to look at our decision making. What is the process by which you make decisions? What about the way that you speak in your comfortable and casual places? What about the way you spend your time? What about, and here's where it sometimes touches quite deep, what about the way that you spend your money? 
the way that you prioritize spending your resources. What does that tell you about what is really most important to you? And if there is anything more important than God, then you have been unfaithful. Now, can you imagine how Hosea felt? Can you imagine how does it feel to be the person to whom the one person who has, who has dedicated their complete and utter commitment and exclusivity to cheat on you? How does it feel? And here's, and here's where it changes the way that we view our own sin towards God. You see, because when a king sees a citizen break his rules, he gets angry. He punishes. When a father sees the children disobey, he gets angry and he punishes. When a shepherd sees his sheep eating sticks and wandering around, they goes, oh, well, I'm in sheep. You know sheep, right? But when a husband hears his wife is unfaithful multiple times, that doesn't just make you angry. That breaks you. Breaks you. And so God is not just angered by unfaithfulness. No, no. He's broken by it. He is broken by it. God has so joined his joy to us that he has basically, the day he created us, He has committed to in all eternity never ever again experience unbroken joy until the day that all of us are before him. And until that day, there will be constant broken, broken, brokenness experienced in God. Now, there's an effect of this unfaithfulness on God and our relationship with God, but there's an effect of this unfaithfulness on us. And in verse two, there's more to come, but in verse one, there's one thing we see, the effect of unfaithfulness and idolatry, loving anything more than God, having anything more important in your life than God. And it's this, in chapter one and chapter two, Hosea's wife is named. Gomer is her name. She has a name. And she has an identity, Hosea's wife. There's an identity. But in in chapter three, there's no name and there's no identity. You see, our idolatry, sin, the things you make more important than God in your life does not enhance your identity or your value. It diminishes it. It breaks it. So to conclude verse one, what we're getting from verse one is that to God, our relationship with him is like a marriage between a faithful groom and an unfaithful bride whose idolatry breaks him. Okay. You see, the deeper we go, the higher we can come out. Okay. So bear with me. Verse two. Hosea obeys. He buys her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lithage of barley. Now that word bought can also be understood as haggling. To haggle for her. 
so what that would mean, if she was being auctioned and there was a haggling for her, it would mean one of two things. Number one, she has either sold herself as a slave to someone to survive because she had no means of provision. She was just going from man to man to man and no one was committed to her. No one would provide for her. So she would sell herself as a slave or she has become a temple prostitute. One of those two things. Now one thing that we can know about haggling for a slave or specifically for a temple prostitute is that when you are auctioning off something, it is displayed fully so that you know exactly what you're buying. So she would either be almost or completely naked when Hosea was haggling for her. So, her adultery, our idolatry, our sin, all forms of loving anything more than God, having anything more important, it humiliates us. It breaks us down. And to Gomer, it even ruined her humanity. It ruined her dignity. All she would be able to do is to, to close her eyes. That's all she would have left. That the Bible reveals to you that the effects of sin, of having something more important than God on your soul is the same effect that sex would have on a sex addict's body. It has the same damaging effect. And I've got many testimonies of this. I currently have a person that I'm walking around with, I'm discipling him, he's in my connect group, and he used to be an alcoholic. And we realized that earlier this year, I started walking with him last year around August, and earlier this year, he came out with it. We, we realized that there was um, conflict in the marriage when we spoke to the wife, um, when I spoke to him, we realized there was some trouble. And what this was, was busy doing, it, it had a profound effect on his identity, on who he believed that he was. It had a profound effect on his relationships. Man, with his, with his children, with his wife, every single time he, he would have gotten drunk, he knows that next morning, he doesn't even want to wake up because the shame he's going to receive, the brokenness. His wife basically felt that for that time that he was drunk, she could not be his wife. It would be impossible. He was being unfaithful towards her with alcohol. And it was, it was unbearable for her. And he wouldn't be able to stop, especially not when he was with people. When there was an emptiness in him, the alcohol would superficially fill it. He would become a certain person when he was drunk. And that person, he felt like, at least he didn't have the pain. He was someone, someone that people liked. And so, I praise God that we're, on, we're, we're over 100 days that he has now been completely sober. And that Jesus Christ is saving and restoring his marriage. We had a meeting with him and his wife before they were on holiday and it was really incredible. He's doing so well. But I want you to hear in the story the profound effects of having anything more important than God in your life. I personally have a testimony of this as well. I used to be addicted to gaming. 
and that addiction would change form to video watching or series or movies. Once I started watching, I can't stop. And um, it would also happen because I grew up in a divorced household. And so every time there was conflict or I missed my dad, I had no idea how to deal with those emotions. So I would drown them in a dopamine overload by playing games. And as I would grow up, I would learn. That's how I would deal with those negative emotions. And it even followed me into my marriage where when I was supposed to be working, I would, I would be negative about something. I would watch videos and I would want to hide it from my wife. And if she caught me, I felt the shame. I felt the dishonesty. I felt the trust in our relationship slowly fading away every single time I was dishonest or having to hide and cover myself up. And so, him having to buy Gomer, her being displayed, this is how it breaks us. All right. Now, he would buy her for the equivalent of 30 pieces of silver. Okay, if you added everything up he gave, it would probably be, the monetary value would be 30 pieces of silver. That is the normal price for a slave in biblical times. So, so he would now have the privilege of having her his slave. She would now be bound to him as a slave, and he could probably use that pain and anger to get back at her. Is that what he does? I don't know. Let's look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, And I said to her, this is Hosea, You must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. Okay. So what exactly is Hosea saying? Now this, this is quite a difficult piece actually in the original Hebrew to translate. I did some research. And what he's actually saying here is he's basically telling her that she will dwell with him, probably secluded, just with him for many days, in which she will have no sexual relations with anyone, including himself. Hosea, including him as the husband. Wait, hold on. So he is in pain, and he would want to get back at her, but he doesn't. What does he do? He places his wife in an environment where she can be healed, where she can be restored. Wow. You see, to, to save Gomer, to change her life, something radical would need to happen. If you met a prostitute out on the streets and you decided to get sort of involved, but not that involved. It wouldn't be enough. And she'd probably, she'd probably start lying to you, stab you in the back, even any drug addict. It'll probably not, it'll be, it'll be hard. You'll need more people. You'd, it's gonna take a lot of effort, a lot of sacrifice. And any man would probably just turn his back on Gomer. But Hosea, by God's grace, does not use his pain as a motivation to hurt her back, but he places her in an environment where she can heal. Now, here the tone of this message starts to turn. Because look at what God does to unfaithful Israel. Look at what God does to the unfaithful wives that we are. 
verse 4. God says, For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. What does it mean? It basically means that God removes both licit and illicit things from Israel's lives. He removes it both. Some things which, if placed under the lordship of Christ, it would help them get closer to him. It's things like a king. If a king was a godly king, it helps the whole nation reform. Sacrifices, pillars, right? Like the pillar that we, the altar we built last week. Those things that remind you of God's goodness. The ephod. The ephod was the, the, the high priest, what he wore when he was making sacrifices for the whole people. But household gods was illicit. But that was something that they were finding their identity in. That was something that they were finding their value in. And God says, I will remove all of these things that they have trusted to give them identity, value, meaning, to meet that, for me, the negative emotion that I never learned how to deal with. I'm gonna remove all of it from them and I'm gonna place them in a very tough and harsh place. I'm gonna place them in a very tough and harsh place. And it's gonna remove a sense of identity and meaning from them. It's gonna remove from them a sense of belonging because the places that we were getting it was destroying it anyways. Was destroying it anyways. And so there is a price to our idolatry. There is a price to our unfaithfulness, right? For the Israelites, the price was that God was placing them in a very harsh and tough place among people that, that were not honoring God necessarily and that would not, that, that would have been racist. There would have been judgment. It would have been tough, right? And the Israelites needed to realize something, that all of the goodness that they got to enjoy while in the land was a result of God's goodness. But they forgot that. So God is gonna take them. And they need to realize, oh, the goodness we had was God, so now God placing us somewhere else is God. God is able to do these things. God is able to make us completely bankrupt. I had a conversation with a friend of my father's about three, four years ago. He, they had just signed a contract and his net worth was jumping to about 200 million rand. And he was driving home one night and he says, man, you've made it. Not even God can sink you now. It took God eight days for his net worth to, plop, to go from 200 million to owing five million and being placed under liquidation. Eight days. From the moment he said, not even God can sink you now. When we place anything above God, there's gonna be a natural consequence, the natural effect on your soul, but there is a spiritual consequence. There is the judgment of God that is pulled into that sin that God needs to pour out his wrath on our sin. We're in debt. And it doesn't matter how powerful we are or how much your net worth is or how secure or how successful, it doesn't matter. Do you realize that the air, the very oxygen molecules you're breathing in, you're only breathing because God created it? 
You know that the lungs you're using, the brain that you're using, the body you're in, the soul you are, all of that created by God and can be removed from you with a thought. You know that God could remove our son with a thought and let everything on earth perish and just start over somewhere else, reorder the whole universe? That is what God is capable of. And that is what he actually should do. Now, when you hear this, when I say something like that, okay, this is, that's pretty rough. But when I say something like that, half of what the Bible calls the fear of the Lord must enter you. Half of it. The half that realizes, I am worthy of God ceasing the oxygen from entering my body. I'm worthy of God taking my last breath, disintegrating my body, and starting over somewhere else. That is what I deserve, and that's what he is capable of doing with a thought. When you pray, dear baby Jesus, right? Because there's people who pray, baby Jesus. You don't realize that this baby Jesus is actually the God who sustains the universe. And you need to realize that. We need to realize that for half of the fear of God to enter us. And so that's what we're seeing happening in verse four. God is moving things around. He's shifting things. He's placing them in a place where, yes, they need to realize the fear of God, but it's also ceasing from all of those illicit gods, from all of the things they've made more important to, than him and placing them in an environment where they can heal. And then we get to verse five. Karina, will you join me on stage, please? Verse five, we see, afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. Why fear? Because the thing that you are trusting for your salvation, the things that you have more important than God, that is the thing that you actually fear. And so that is the thing where you go looking for goodness. And if you do not fear God, then you will not look for his goodness. And you will not know his goodness. You will not know it. And here's where we unwrap the goodness of God. The scripture says, the people will return to God and David their king. What does it mean, David their king? David their king is a reference to the messianic line. The time when God will come and save his people. So, half of the fear of God is, here's what I am. Here's what I deserve and here's what you're capable of. There's half of the fear of God. You ponder that this December, you'll have half of the fear of God. To have the other half and to really know God's goodness, you need to know 
that God did exactly that. He sees exactly what you are, exactly what you deserve, exactly what he's capable of. And then he actions and he does that to himself in your place. Because 800 years after this, 800 years, someone will also be sold for 30 pieces of silver. His name is Jesus Christ. And he became a man. And he lived like we should have lived. He was a Hosea. He was our Hosea. But then treated like Gomer sold for 30 pieces of silver. And then he was brought before Pilate and there was a haggling Barnabas, the guilty one, free him, the innocent one, kill him. But more than that, he was paraded, placed on a pedestal, naked. The movies say there was a cloth. That's just to keep it from being an R-rated film. There was no cloth. They were crucified, naked, shamed, completely vulnerable, weak. This is the goodness of God, friends, is that Jesus is both Hosea and Gomer, and he is God. He is everyone in the story. He is the faithful husband who pays whatever price it takes to get us back to him into that intimate relationship, even though we don't deserve it. He is Gomer, treated like the unfaithful bride that we are in every way we deserve. And one thing that Jesus Christ endured so that we never have to. It's not just being sold. It's not just being naked. It's not just being haggled for. It is on the cross, the complete and utter abandonment of the Father. Do you remember I told you that in all eternity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have been pouring boundless love, endless joy, complete unity, eternal glory on the cross for the first time and for the only time the Father and the Spirit broke it off with the Son and the Son was rejected abandoned no more loved (laughs) so that you never have to you never have to have that when you're sitting here you're feeling rejected Jesus was rejected. You don't have to. But you fear something else. You're looking for goodness and acceptance somewhere else. That's why you feel rejected. But if you would come to God, if we would turn to God, you would realize the faithful husband has never left you and he never will. This is the goodness of God. This is what it means to fear him. It's to know what you deserve but to get what you receive. Friends, the story is not love conquers all. 
The story is God conquers all. The story is if we would turn to God, fear Him, remove all the licit and illicit things that we have trusted more than Him, that we have loved more than Him, that we have placed more importance in Him, then we would know the goodness of God. We would unwrap that goodness. So, how do we rationally respond to this story? How do we, how do we respond to this? And here, I wanna invite all of us to close our eyes. If you're here this morning and you personally have never ever made the public commitment to do away with all false idols and to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, to place all of your trust and love in your relationship with Jesus Christ, then I wanna invite you this morning to do that. If that is you, will you stand so I can pray with you, please? There's anyone here never publicly made the commitment to have Jesus Christ, your only Lord and Savior and your first love. All right. If you're here this morning and as I was preaching, you realize, yes, there has been some things I've made more important than God. I was anxious this year because I was trusting in something else. And you wanna lay that down before the Father's feet right now. You wanna return as an unfaithful bride back to God to say, I wanna remove everything that is more important than you in my life. If there's something you wanna say, I am sorry, Lord, for making this thing more important than you then I wanna invite you to stand. Wonderful. Man, praise God. Praise God. Man, he's a faithful husband. So faithful. All right. Praise God. All right, let's close our eyes, open our hands. Get ready to receive God's goodness. Get ready to receive God's favor, salvation, freedom. Father, this morning we realize we've been unfaithful, Lord. We've been unfaithful. We've placed other things above you in priority. We've made other things more important. We've placed our trust, our love and things more than you, Father. And Lord, we need you to save us. Father, we repent. We turn away from those things. We turn towards you. Jesus, this morning, in seeing how faithful you are, how good you are, in knowing the fear that we deserve the total and utter banishment, the abandonment, and yet we receive your salvation. Lord, in knowing that, we turn to you. Everything, Father, the way we spend our time, our talents, our, our resources, everything, Father, our family, our relationships. Lord, we wanna lay it all before your feet. This morning, Father, thank you that you forgive us, that you free us, that you set us free, Lord, 
Father, even if these, this has been things that have been part of our lives, part of our identity, I pray that you will remove it. Even if it's like a plaster that rips off a piece of our skin, if it's painful, do it, Lord. Rip it apart from us. Nothing, Lord. We want nothing more than you. And nothing is worth, nothing is worth you. Father, this morning we thank you that you are here, that you, free, you have freed us on that cross. You have taken the praise, you have taken the wrath, you have taken the rejection in our place. And this morning we are reconciled with our God. We love you, Lord. We worship you. We give you all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name we say, amen. Amen. Praise God. Can we give God a hand, friends? I really want to invite you. If you have not named that thing that has been more important, and I'm, I'm speaking now past tense, because here this morning I really believe that if not for all of us, at least for most of us, there will be complete and total freedom. You have, you have access to Christ and that freedom. Please speak to your connector leader or LG leaders and name that thing. Bring in a brother or a sister to walk with you on this thing. And that concludes today's message. For more information, visit our website at everynationswane.org forward slash moikloof. That's everynationswane.org forward slash moikloof. Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Till next time then. Yeah.